Welcome along, especially welcome to anyone here who's joining us for the first time, as we said. Go and meet us at the information corner. We'd love to connect with you, put a pack in your hand, letting you know information about us, about our vision, our mission, what it is that we are on about as a church and what we believe we're called to be. And we are in a series which we are calling Asking for a Friend. So we're looking at life's toughest questions, an opportunity for people to, to raise something in, a, in, an, in an anonymous way that they're really keen to be diving into. And what we've discovered over the course of the last month or two as people are writing questions is there's these clear themes. Uh, so we're distilling the vast uh, number of questions that are coming in. We've distilled them into sort of six key things. And to be honest, we could do this for probably 25 weeks, but we're not going to. We're going to leave it at six. And today we've landed at a really great moment with a message I'm calling Help. The end of the world is here. Help, the end of the world is here. You're going to quickly pick up the theme as I go through the questions. And the questions, they're coming from different angles, but I think when you draw the line, they're all pointing to the same thing, which is, what do we do? In everything happening in our world, what do we do? So let's dive straight into it. We got a lot to cover this morning. I'll read five questions, which I think will summarise those that have come in um, the best. So number one, the tribulation. Church present for this and tested slash martyred slash killed through God's wrath, bracket a beaten, bruised bride, bracket, or the church having already suffered man's wrath and persecution is not present, save from God's wrath, bracket, the restrainer removed, bracket, to then usher in the Antichrist and God's wrath only for the unbelieving world and unbelieving Jews, bracket, those not fled to the desert, bracket, with tribulation saints being those that come to faith by witness of two prophets, 144,000 Jews and the angels that roam the earth, question mark. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> awesome. Number two, the rapture, comfort and hope of Jesus' imminent appearance, second, uh, separate to second coming for his church bride called to heaven, bracket, with those resurrected, bracket, with redeemed bodies for wedding feasts and crowns and prepared mansions, pre-tribulation saved from God's wrath like Noah to return with Jesus at the second coming to rule with him after the tribulation, do you see the parable of 10 virgins in Jewish wedding tradition as being ready for unexpected rapture, half ready, half not, and the door shut, uh, with God the Father knowing timing, but Jesus the groom does not? Or is the rapture in mid-tribulation or post-tribulation, or is there no rapture at all? That's so good. Now, we shift gears and a very different angle these two, the first two questions is what we would call eschatological questions. Everyone say eschatological, which is basically the study or the theology of end times. All right, and we'll talk about that in, in a second. These next ones are very pastoral. And as I, I cannot tell you enough, as I've been reading through questions that have come, especially, especially the last couple of weeks around texts and emails and conversations with people, my heart has been breaking like there is a pastoral burden that is going to come with these questions and you'll hear it. You'll hear it as I read them. And really, that's my heart in this message today, that we would address deeply these questions. Dave, I'm worried. These vaccine mandates are freaking me out. I'm not anti-vax, but I do believe people should have the right to choose what they do and do not put in their bodies. 
Is this the mark of the beast? It sounds a lot like it, requiring evidence to buy and sell and be a part of society. Should we be afraid? Are we in the end times, Dave? If so, what do I do? Number two, seems to be a lot of talk about revelation going around these days. Are we in the last days? If so, what stance should the church be making to what is happening around the world? And number three, help, exclamation mark. Does vaccine equal mark of beast? How can the church be so divided on this? And how can we be sure it's not when there seems to be so many parallels with Revelation? I do not want to lose my job over a vaccine, but I also don't want to be deceived by the spirit of Babylon's sorcery, Revelation 18.23, exposing myself as a false disciple and joining the ranks of those Jesus says he never knew, Matthew 7.21-23. I'm so scared right now. Please help me. That got me and got me this morning and is getting me again. Let's stand. I, I think we need to pray. So let's do that. Let's stand to our feet. Let's pray. Father God, I, I can't answer these questions in my wisdom. I can't answer these questions in a way that is going to change anybody's lives. Only you can. Only you can speak to the depths of the soul. Only you can bring peace. Only you can bring hope. Only you can bring faith. Father God, we plead your blood over this place. We plead your mercy over our lives. And God, we pray that you would speak powerfully through your word this morning to each and every single person here, to each and every single person who would listen to this online today, tomorrow, next month and the years to come. Lord, that you would build your church, that you would build your beautiful, unified, spotless bride, that she would know that she is loved by you and that we would be devoted to one another and devoted to you, no longer divided, but united in the faith, proclaiming the goodness of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus and all God's children said, amen. So you may be seated. There's so much in this. Um, I could spend hours on each one and I'm not going to do that. What we are going to do is I'm dividing this into three little categories. The first two, I'm going to scrape like Vegemite over toast. All right. Now Vegemite is strong enough that you only need a little bit to get you going. So We'll do a little bit of a Vegemite scrape. Where I want to land is that th- this, this third section. So the first section I see is really where we stand on end times theology. What, what is our eschatological position as a church? Do we have one? Should you have one? Number two, is the vaccine the mark of the beast? I'm going to distill it down to that. Is the vaccine the mark of the beast? If so, what does that mean? If not, what does that mean? Then number three, what does all of this mean for us? Are we in end times? Are we in end times? And if we are in end times, what what does that mean for us as a church? How are we supposed to act? How are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to behave? Uh, What should we do about everything that is going on in our world? Now, as I've been praying about this, I really have felt the Lord lay on my heart that this cannot be a session of information. This has to be a message of revelation. 
This cannot be eschatology 101 because you're going to walk up and leave and nothing's going to change. This has to be a moment in time where the Spirit of God comes and He speaks to the heart, not the head. And as He speaks to the heart, my hope and my prayer and what I believe God wants to do is that people who have come here fearful would leave full of faith. That as we walk out these doors, there would actually be joy. There would be a sense of the burden and the weight of the world being lifted off of our shoulders and rather us taking on the burden of Christ, which is easy and it's light. That we would come under His authority, under His wing, and that we would know that, hey, no matter what is happening in the world right now, I can have full assurance of faith. That there is a hope that is an anchor for my soul and I can hold on to that anchor and I can walk into my day, I can walk into the next week and deal with everything that the world's throwing at me full of faith, full of assurance, full of confidence and full of joy. Amen? That's what I believe what God wants to do today. And I've got to be honest with you, there is a righteous zeal that's in my heart and I may yell. And if I yell, I'm not apologising for that because you cop it every single week. It's just going to be what you always get. Now, let's go into this. Number one, do we have an eschatological position as a church? Just say eschatological again. One of the funnest words you can say as a church. Now, what this is talking about is basically, are we pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial, pan-millennial, which is the idea that it all just pans out in the end and who cares anyway? <laughs> is there a rapture? Is there not a rapture? Is that pre-trib, post-trib, trib being a tribulation, which is a period of time of uh, intense persecution against the church? What, like, what is our position as a church? Should we have one? My answer to that, in short, is no, we don't have an eschatological position as a church. Why? Because it's not a salvation issue. You can believe what you want to believe about it. I can believe what I want to believe about it and we can still be friends. That's the short answer. The slightly longer answer is if you are someone who is fascinated by this and really interested, and maybe for you, you've never heard pre-mill, a-mill, post-mill, tribulate, you've never heard that stuff and your ears are pricked up and you're like, whoa, what's this? I want to know more about this. Here's my commitment. I just threw this on the guys this morning. During the week, we'll get the cameras out and I'll film a, a going deeper teaching on this. So I'll spend however long it takes and I'll explain the millennium, I'll explain the tribulation, we'll talk about the different views, why those different views exist um, and we'll go through all of that stuff and we'll make that available to you guys as a part of the church so you can sink your teeth into it. If you're someone who's never heard that before and you're like, I couldn't care less, great, praise God. It is good to study it, but it's more important that your eyes are on Jesus. So dive into Him. If you're someone who loves it and you spent years and years studying it, praise God for that. Here's my thing. If that study for you leads you to becoming a cantankerous, difficult human being, cantankerous means argumentative, folks. If you've just learned a new word, some of you. If it causes conflict in your life and conflict with others, stop studying it. The whole purpose of eschatology, the whole reason that God has put stuff about end times in His Word is to draw the church to a deeper love and revelation of the supremacy of Christ in all things. The whole purpose of studying eschatology is that we would look at the world and go, man, this world is broken. This world needs its Saviour. Jesus, 
please come back and start pleading for the blood of Jesus. Start pleading that Christ would return to make all things right, to heal what is broken and that we would be activated in that and that we would have a heart for the lost, that we would have a heart for each other, a heart for one another to love each other despite our differences and walk in the one single unified promise that Jesus Christ is Lord and He's coming back for His bride. That is why we study eschatology. Now, the video I make during the week will hopefully be very, very helpful for you guys. If you want that resource, dive into it. If you want to talk about it after, dive into it. Slight little thing just to to finish off section one, my personal position, I probably lean more premillennial for those of you who are into that, all right? But again, it's not a hill I'm going to die on. You don't have to share that same view. You don't. I believe that the church is going to be raptured. You don't have to share that same view. Not a hill I'm going to die on. If you want to talk about it, let's talk about it. But let's not die on that hill. Let's die on the hill that Jesus Christ is Lord and that He loves His church and the church is called to be a unified bride. Amen? Good. Number two. Let's just get deep and heavy on a Sunday morning. Is the vaccine the mark of the beast? This is... A phenomenal question, and this, I, like, I've been quietly weeping over this this week as I felt the fear coming through the questions. And as I've felt that fear, I have just had this righteous anger at that spirit of fear that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so my heart in this moment is to come against the spirit of fear that is coming against the church. And I believe that the people of God need to hold fast to the promises of God so that the fear of the enemy would flee and rather we would be walking by faith no matter what comes our way. Now, a lot of you have asked a whole lot of questions and a lot of you have asked a whole lot of questions of me about my stance around vaccines and all of that. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. If you have a medical question, talk to a doctor. If you have a scientific question, talk to a scientist. The one thing I am is a student of God's Word. And I love this thing. And I have studied this thing for like half of my life. And if there's one thing I am qualified to speak into, it is this question. Hear my heart as I say this. Listen to me. Listen to me. The vaccine is not the mark of the beast. It is not. And I want to help you and I want to give you a few reasons as to why that's the case. Firstly, and this is one you can take or leave, I think the church is going to be raptured before that happens anyway. All right? Now, whether you agree with me on that, let's just put that to the side. Secondly, here's why. Let's go to the passage. Some of you are like, what even is the mark of the beast, Dave? I don't know what you're talking about. Everyone's quiet and it seems awfully like, you know, ominous, but what is it? So let's go there. Revelation chapter 30. Now, if you want to talk end times, here's what you need to do. You need to, you need to read Revelation, right? Read the book of Revelation. Now, we as a church did a study on Revelation four years ago where we went 10 weeks on the book of Revelation and we called it the drama of history. We unpacked all the different elements of that book. To be honest with you, when we changed our website, somehow we lost those sermons. So like, I think coming out of what has been happening here in the last few weeks, I think next year we'll do it again. And we'll come back and we'll study the book again. All right. 
So you've got to read the book of Revelation. You should read Matthew 24 and 25. Don't read 24 without reading 25 because it's the same message. Again, the Bible is a unified story that points to Christ. Love it, read it. Uh, you also want to read the book of Daniel. Okay, you want to spend, we just studied it. So go back and listen to those messages as well. There's so much in this. Revelation chapter 13, let me set the scene. The beast out of the sea. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. You're already like, okay. Come on. (laughs) Who's the dragon? The dragon is is a, a symbol of Satan himself. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. This is this picture of this antichrist type figure. It had 10 horns, which speaks to power, seven heads with 10 crowns on its horns, and on each had a blasphemous name. Everyone say blasphemous. What's blasphemy? Blasphemy is a specific word against God. It is not, blasphemy is not someone saying, oh my God. That's not blasphemy. Blasphemy is someone who would claim something that God is not who he says he is. It's specifically speaking against his character, his nature, and his promises, all right? So there is a blasphemous name on each of his horns. So his power will speak blasphemy. As he grows in power, he will blaspheme Jesus Christ, saying that Jesus isn't Lord. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those. Let's press on. Verse 11. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. So it's going to look like Jesus but its words are going to be satanic. Oh, there's something on that. We need to know, we need to be aware. We're going to get there in a minute. You need to understand he's going to look like Christ and he's going to deceive the whole world because of it, but he's not because he will blaspheme Christ. He will reject Jesus and lead people to himself. Let's keep going. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. Again, Remember, what God creates, Satan counterfeits. Everything God creates is good, Satan comes as a counterfeit. Why? Because he's not a creator. He sat in God's presence as one of the archangels and all he knows to do is what God has done but try and distort it unto his own name. There's Father, Son and Holy Spirit. When you read this, you'll see that there's Satan, there's the Antichrist and there's the false prophet, right? There is gonna be the the Everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. So we need to expect when we're looking at end times that we're going to see a counterfeit gospel, which is going to try and draw people away from the truth. So it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth It ordered them to set up an image in honour of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship, someone say worship, the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell, which is where the issue's coming right now, unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who is insight calculate the number of the beast. It is the number of a man. That number is 666. Now, maybe during the week, I'll try and dive into this more in a deeper teaching. But the question you have to ask, is it, is it actually 
a number, some people would say yes, some would say no. But whatever it is, it's pointing to a man. It's pointing to this, this man who is going to set himself up as Christ. Go back to Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, I think it is, Jesus says, actually, how about we read it just so I make sure that you hear it properly. Matthew 24, verse 15, Jesus talking about end times. In verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony of all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. So this person, again, this is about worship. This is why the vaccine is not the mark of the beast. Because the mark of the beast will be specifically related to worship. It will be something that we must reject Christ. In order to receive this, you have to reject Christ and give your allegiance to this person who will set himself up in the holy place. What does that mean? It means he's setting himself up as God because the holy place is where God is worshipped. And Jesus says it's the abomination that leads to desolation. He's talking about someone who will stand there as God and demand that humanity worship Him. And because He's a deceiver, so many many people in the world will be deceived and they will turn and they will lay down their lives for this guy. And those who reject that worship will either be killed or they will not be allowed to participate in society. Which is why there's this at the moment like, But I just think what God's doing in allowing all of this stuff and all the conversation and all the trouble is He's trying to sift His church and prepare His church and say, guys, be aware of the signs and the times. This is what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 24, be aware of the signs and the times. Keep watch, keep your eyes open. Understand what's going on and keep your eyes on Him. Worship Jesus. He's the only one who is Lord. He's the only one who died and rose again. Everything else that comes is a deception. Anyone who speaks against the name of Jesus Christ as Lord is not God. We worship Jesus. Never, ever, ever turn your back on Jesus. He is the author of life. He is salvation. He is the beginning. He is the end. It is all about Him. So never, ever, ever turn your back on Him. Amen. We are to trust in Christ. This is how we can know that this is the case. You cannot accidentally take the mark of the beast. You cannot unwittingly Take the mask of the beast. It, is it the will end be times. a deliberate, of course it's the intentional decision, and it will be linked years. to the rejection so what does of Peter Jesus say Christ as Lord. When he writes okay. to the church, wrestling with this question of the beast, you know, is Nero the beast? Is Nero the Antichrist? And then later on, is Domitian the Antichrist? You know, Domitian called himself the beast. You know, he he made people worship him. Do you know he had a coin which he put his his imprint on, and you couldn't buy or sell without that coin? What do you think the church was thinking back then? Of course they're thinking this is it. And this is why Jesus says, be aware of the signs and the times. Anyway, 1 Peter says this, chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Thanks, Peter. That's pretty blunt. (laughs) Therefore, now you watch this. Therefore, because the end is near, this is what the church should do. Be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, above all, love each other deeply 
because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be glorified, that God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Yeah, I could finish right there. No, you're right. But I won't. <laughs> Five things. Five things. And God, this is so interesting. God's laid this on my heart for probably the last two weeks. The last couple of days, we've had our staff and we've had our board and our elders retreating. We've been planning, visioning, dreaming. And I felt, I've been saying, God, give me the blueprint of heaven. Give me the blueprint of heaven for your church. What is it that we should do? And the Lord dropped this passage on my heart before I started thinking about this sermon as the blueprint of heaven. And then on Friday night, we had Pastor Danny Guglamucci come and speak to us. And I said to him, you just speak on whatever the heck you, you're Danny Guglamucci, you're a man after God's heart, you just preach and I know God will speak. Do you know what he got up and spoke about? He said, I'm gonna speak about the pattern of heaven. And he used a different passage, but he said the same things. God has a word for his church right here, right now. First Peter 4, what is it that the church is supposed to do? Five things. One, pray soberly. Soberly doesn't mean somberly. That's a lie. People think that sober means to not be drunk, right? And how many of you have been to parties where people just assume because you're not drunk, you're not having any fun? Actually, some, I've been at parties where I've been the life of the party and everyone assumes I'm drunk, but I'm not. <laughs> Without having anything to drink. Like, how can you be so happy? Because I've got the joy of the Lord in my heart. Praying soberly doesn't mean being boring and dull. Praying soberly means to be of right mind. It means to be alert. It means to be looking out at the world. It means to be seeking truth. It means to be going, hey God, what are you saying this? Being very, very acutely aware. And this is where we've got to understand the Revelation 18.23 passage, which was quoted there, which says that the spirit of Babylon deceived mankind through the work of her sorcery. Now that's caused some consternation, especially in Pastor Google land, because the root of that words the Greek word sorcery is the root word from which we get pharmacy or pharmaceutical and so everyone's like bruh, 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 bruh. what it what it's talking about is this like this elixir or this drug and we know because we studied Daniel church that the drug of the spirit of Babylon the thing that that enchants and and captivates and deceives humanity is what is always captivated and deceived humanity it's the drug of power, wealth, and fame. Look at humanity. What is the source? What is the root of the evil in the world? A ah, striving. Get off of me, fly. It's a striving. <laughs> Trust the fly to break the flow. It's a striving for power, wealth, and fame, isn't it? This longing, this seductress. I want this, even in the, in the garden, Eve, what captain, you could be like God. Power, wealth and fame. She didn't realise she was already made in God's image. It's this desire for me to be more than what, my, me to put myself in the posture and the position of God, to make God subject to me instead of me subject to Him. That is the drug of Babylon. 
And that is the drug that has captivated our world. And all you have to do is look around and that is exactly what's happening. Everyone wants to be their own God. Everyone wants to set themselves up as Lord. And the call on the church is to be alert to that, to have a sober mind, to not be sucked in by the drug of this world, but to stand firm in the fullness of Christ. We're not called to be drunk on the things of this world. We're called to be drunk on the Holy Spirit, which means to be filled to overflowing with God's presence so that we would know that He is our all in all. And as He is overflowing us, not only do we have peace, not only do we have a sound mind, but we also don't have a spirit of fear. We've got that spirit of faith. That's what it's talking about. Be alert, sober mind, full of Christ, full of Christ, that we might see and be aware and ready. Peter, in writing this letter, you've got to remember who he sat under. Who did Peter sit under? This is where everyone knows the answer. Jesus. He sat under Jesus. Which means when he's talking end times, what Peter's doing is he's not speaking out of his own wisdom. He's thinking back and he's going, well, what did Jesus say? And if you read Matthew 24 and 25, you cannot help but see the parallels. What Peter's doing here, he's sitting down, he's remembering Jesus on the Mount of Olives, preaching and he's going, that's right, this is what we should do. The end of all things is near, this is what we should do. What does Jesus say? He talks, the end of all things is near. Matthew chapter 25, he starts, he talks about the parable of the ten virgins. And as he preaches on the parable of the ten virgins, it's this picture that some are ready and some are not. And the message of that is watch and pray. What does Peter say? Be alert and sober-minded so that you can pray. So you know how to pray. So you know what to pray into. It's the exact same word. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. The church, watch and pray. Number two, Jesus' sermon. He then goes into this, there's that ginormous fly. He then, he then rolls into the parable of the talents and he starts talking about you've been given gifts, you've been given talents and I want you to use them for the kingdom. The end of all things is near, keep serving. What does Peter say? You've been given gifts, use your gifts. Don't go and dig a huge hole in the ground, fill it with concrete and canned food. Don't do that. Don't hide. Don't run in fear. Don't do that. Use your gifts. That's what you're called to do. And that's what Peter's saying. And then he's like the third thing. This is what Jesus is saying. And the third thing is the sheep and the goats. And in the sheep and the goats, he starts talking about whatever you did to the least of one of my brothers, you've done it unto me. Hospitality and love. Peter's just quoting him. And so that's why we get to the second thing that Peter says, which is love sacrificially. One, pray soberly. Two, love sacrificially. Love sacrificially. Why? Because love covers a multitude of of sins. Above all, love one another deeply. This is not love lovey-dovey. This is agape, sacrificial love. The dying to self for the betterment of your beloved. You don't often look to the person in front behind, maybe to the side, because it might be your husband or wife, but you don't often call them your beloved. Paul did. We're supposed to see our brothers and sisters as our beloveds, which means we're supposed to die to self. You know, this morning, God woke me up early this morning and he said to me, it's a marriage, Dave. It's a marriage. It's a covenant that I've made. And a part of that is that we're covenanted to one another and we're called to die to self 
for the betterment of our beloved. That's what this is. And it says love covers a multitude of sins. Do you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of Genesis chapter nine. Story of Noah. We know that Noah gets drunk. Again, that picture of being drunk on the things of the world. And he's nude in bed, which is a picture of shame. And he's got three sons, Ham, uh, Shem and Japheth. And Ham goes in, sees his dad nude, his nakedness, his shame and his sin. And he comes out and he says to his brothers, oh, dad's nude in the tent. And what it's a picture of is gossip. It's a picture of share, like spreading that sin. It's about exposing that sin. And then what, what Shem and Japheth do, it's such a beautiful picture, is they take a rug, they put it on, but they don't even walk forwards. They turn around, they walk backwards into the tent and they lay the rug on their father's nakedness. And it's a picture of covering the sin. It's not sweeping the sin under the rug. It's a covering. The Greek word is calypto. Everyone say calypto. And it literally means to veil or to hide as if it wasn't known or hide as if it wasn't a thing. This is what it's talking about where Jesus covers our sin. He makes it disappear. He's the one who takes responsibility for it. That's what love does. It takes responsibility for another person. It dies to self for that person. That's what uh, Shem and Japheth do. They take responsibility for their father's shame, guilt and nakedness. In the church, we are supposed to do that. Not sweep stuff under the rug, but we're supposed to love with a sacrificial love, which is I might disagree with you, but I'm gonna listen to you. The church needs way less Facebook confrontations and way more face-to-face conversations. Far too often, that's what I've read and it's all this blowing up and people, that's not love. And I'm getting angry about it because the church should not be that. The church should be, hey, come over, come to my house, have a coffee or a hot chocolate if you're Brian Ambrose, sit down and talk about stuff. See each other's perspective and go, just because you disagree from me doesn't mean you're a weirdo. No, you're a brother or a sister in Christ and you have thought about stuff and I love you deeply and I wanna gain an understanding. And even if we land at different places on the millennium scale or whatever it is, we can walk arm in arm together championing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. That's what we're called to do. So stop it. Stop arguing, stop complaining about each other and start listening and loving each other. And whatever your view on vaccines, you're welcome in this house. We love you. Regardless of your view, you are loved. We can talk about it. You might disagree with each other, but love each other. Amen? Number three, welcome strangers. Says show hospitality without grumbling. Do you know what hospitality, the Greek, literally means friend of stranger? Hospitality is not cleaning your house for three hours, putting on a three-course meal and inviting your mates over. That's not hospitality, that's a dinner with friends. That's a good thing to do, keep doing it. But hospitality is when the bedroom has a floor drobe instead of a wardrobe, when the kitchen's a mess, When the carpet, you have to wear socks or else you can feel the dirt on your feet. (laughs) And someone's in need. Hospitality is, I don't care, come over. Hospitality is, you need something, I'm your brother and your sister and I'm here for you. And it's not grumbling, it's joyful. 
It's joyful. It's like, yes, I get to love somebody today. I get to love somebody today. And I'm not going to share this story because it's not about boasting, but Joe and I have a lot of people at our house a lot of the time, and sometimes it's tiring. And someone came over recently. We had a group of guys over. We had a group of girls over, and there was probably something else happening too. Someone came in. They started crying. They're like, I just love the fact that the house is open. And we've had conversations where we're like, this can sometimes be hard, but that is the heart. And we remind ourselves constantly it's about doing it joyfully because that is God's heart for his church. God is a hospitable God. He is a friend to a stranger. And we have to remember that at one point in time, every single one of us were a stranger to God. And because of his hospitality, we're now part of the family. My heart is that each and every one of you here will feel a part of the family of God. That's why we have life groups and it's why we encourage life groups not just to be a gathering of friends but actually a gathering of strangers who become family. That strangers would become brothers and sisters. That's the heartbeat of this church. Number four, I've got to move on. Serve faithfully. It says, use the gifts that God has given Be wise stewards, faithful stewards of the gift that God has given you. Serve Faithfully, keep doing what God has put on your heart to do. If he's gifted you, use it. If you're a gifted teacher, teach. If you're a gifted prophet, prophesy. If you're a gifted hospitalitizer, hospitalitize. If you're, if you're gifted in helps, helps. Do the things that God has called you to do. Don't stop doing them because you want to run around in a circle going, ah, the end of the world's here. No, serve. Serve God, join your local footy club, join the soccer club, join the quilting club, join the chess club. I don't know whatever clubs there are. Just be involved in society, loving people, praying soberly, showing that hospitality and using the gifts that God has given you. We do that, the gospel goes forth because it's all about Jesus and His glory. Number five, band, you can come up and we'll close. The last thing, speak truthfully. Speak truthfully. Verse 11, anyone who speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very, the ESV says, oracles of God. Oh, I love that word, oracles. Speak as one who speaks the oracles of God. Pray soberly, love sacrificially, welcome strangers joyfully, serve faithfully, and last but not least, speak truthfully. Speak the Word of God. Have the Word of God in your heart. Meditate on the Word of God. It doesn't mean every conversation you have, someone says, how are you going? You say, well, John chapter one says. <laughs> Not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is live out of truth. Be a beacon of light. Be a bearer of truth. When falsehood's being spoken, when gossip's being spoken, when hate is being spoken, just come into that place and say, we're not gonna put up with that. There's a beautiful story, a friend of mine who's an elder at a different church and they were, that church was going through some stuff. He had a young adult small group. He said they came over to his house and stuff was going on and they all started straight away just going blah, 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 blah. And he said he just walked in as a father type figure and he just said, everyone stop it. He goes, this is the house of God and you might disagree with some of the things that are going on, but your job is to pray for your brother and sister. So that's what we're gonna do and we're gonna bless them. And we mistake blessing. Sometimes we think like we've got in our minds that blessing is always financial prosperity. It's not. Blessing is whatever God needs to draw that person nearest to Christ. So if we're gonna play, pray a blessing over someone, we have to recognise sometimes God's greatest blessing is that someone will go through hardship in order to bring them back to himself. 
Sometimes blessing is prosperity, but our heart can't be, Lord, correct them. It has to be, no, Lord, bless them. Do what you wanna do. Do what you wanna do in their life. Bless them, Lord. Bring them to the fullness of revelation and understanding in you. Speak the truth of God. Speak the oracles of God. You guys can start playing whenever you want. I'm just waiting for you guys. Church, let's stand to our feet. Just this past week, I've been thinking about the Lord's Prayer, having a chat with someone about the Lord's Prayer. And they asked me, what's my experience of the Lord's Prayer? And growing up in the Uniting Church, we used to say the Lord's Prayer a bit, teaching in a Lutheran school, we'd say it all the time. And it became a very much a ritual, like, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name of the kingdom come, the will be on earth, isn't it? And you just say it. And I started thinking about that. And they said, well, what is it like? Do you use it? What does it mean to you? Have you reflected upon the Lord's Prayer and thought deeply about that? And a part of that, I started thinking back and I remembered this occasion where there's a young lad who was worship leading in our old church. One of the first times he'd worship lead, he was pretty raw. And he decided that as a church, we should sing the Father's Prayer to the tune of Old Lang Syne. Lang Syne? Lang Syne. Is it Lang Syne? You know, the, the New Year's Eve song. Our Father who art in heaven. Hello. Anyway. And it was really interesting. It was a bit weird. We were kind of laughing because we were like, oh, it's New Year's Eve song, but the Lord's Prayer. Anyway, in that moment, as I was reflecting on that, I started thinking about what God has to say in that moment. And His heart in that was that we would know that from year to year, He's still our Father who's hallowed. We should still be praying, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. We should still be praying, give us this day our daily bread. And as we pass from one year to the next, the message was that God has done all of those things. He is faithful. He's faithful through the generations. He's faithful in every season. Friends, as we look at this topic, end times, help, the end of the world is here. Can I encourage you? God is faithful. God is faithful. There is no problem that He is not big enough to handle. He is above all things. He is supreme over everything. He is faithful. He is true to His Word. He will not forsake you. He will never leave you, ever. Behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. That is His promise. Get a hold of the promise of God. And so we're gonna sing this beautiful old hymn which declares it is well, it is well. We sung this at my grandfather's funeral, a faithful man of God who suffered much. He said, Dave, it is well. Why? Because God is who He says He is and God is faithful. And as a church family, we are gonna sing this song And we're gonna declare in the chaos of this world, it is well, because He is faithful. He is faithful. And I really feel in my heart to pray for some people today where that spirit of fear has captured you, where there is a wrestle and a striving and a struggle and there's a weight of the world upon you and you need that weight to be gone in Jesus' Name. We wanna pray for you and I wanna invite you to come and pray. And if we can have prayers come forward, 
come, let's pray, let's seek God and let's declare the goodness of God in the land of the living. Amen. Come, sing and declare the faithfulness of God. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We adore you. We declare that you are faithful. We declare that you are true. We declare that you are just. We declare that you are merciful. And we declare that nothing can snatch us out of your hand. Nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And if our eyes are on you and our hearts are surrendered to you, you will give us wisdom and you will give us strength in our time of need. I pray for that wisdom. I pray for that strength. And I pray for that peace. In the name of Jesus, we say, Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.